You know, sometimes things in the kingdom, things we do, seem like foolishness. But when we're doing them for the kingdom and in the kingdom, who cares? David was looked upon as a fool by his own wife. So his uh, supposed foolishness costed, cost him. Sometimes ours does too. Are you willing to pay the price? He paid the price for us. Are you willing to pay the price for him? I'm going to continue. We've been, um, well, I haven't been here, so I don't know, but I heard that the guys were preaching on the simple gospel. And actually, I have heard their messages. I'm going to continue today on that simple message, the simple gospel. I love this message. It's my favorite message because it is the one message that has changed, wrecked, ruined my life for good. I want to share this message from my perspective. And you know, one thing that Greg said that I really appreciate, those of you who were here last week, and if you haven't heard all the messages, Cornell shared twice, Greg shared last week, I want to share these next couple of weeks, and then we're going to continue. But if you haven't heard the messages, I want to encourage you to go ahead and um, put 40 on there for me. Uh, I want to encourage you to listen to those, those messages on the podcast. Download those, listen to those, very good messages. I'm not going to recap what the brother said. I'm just going, to, just going to move forward. But one thing that I appreciate what Greg brought out is he talked about the gospel, meaning good news. And he brought out that, that, it, that means the too good to be true news. You guys remember that? The too good to be true. You know, when you hear something that's too good to be true, it's like, no, that's too good to be true. And typically when you say that or when you're referring to something that's actually not true, you say, yeah, I knew it was too good to be true. But the gospel is not that way. It is definitely true. The good news, for God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. You guys remember that? Anybody ever heard that before? All you have to do is watch a football game and you'll see it. For God so loved the world. You know, and because we see that scripture so often, it it can become very cliche. It can become very overstated, and it can lose its message. But man, I I don't want us to, let's not let that lose its potency in us. For God so loved the world that he gave his only, his only, his most prized possession, if you will. He gave his only son that whoever would believe in him would not perish, but have eternal life. John 17, 3 says, and this is eternal life. So God gave his son so those those of us who believe in him could have eternal life. Then Jesus defines eternal life in John 17, 3. This is eternal life. That you die and go to heaven someday. Is that not what he said? He said, this is eternal life that they, talking about us, would know the true God, know intimately, know him and Jesus Christ whom he sent. Eternal life is knowing God and knowing Jesus intimately. 
the good news, the simple gospel, for God so loved the world that he gave his son so I could know him. Jesus said in John 10, 10, the thief comes only to steal, kill, and destroy, but I've come that you may have life and have it abundantly. Jesus said, the thief comes to steal, kill, and destroy. So when we follow the plans of the thief, the Bible says that Satan is the prince and the power of the air. He dominates and rules this world system. His plan for us as humans is to kill, steal, and destroy. Jesus said, but I've come that you may have life and have abundant life or live life to the fullest. And I really believe that the only way we can live the abundant life is to make all the money we can. All the buzzers are going off. I believe the only way we can have abundant life is to live the way God designed us to. He designed you and I to have a relationship with him. Would you agree with that? Because he said this is eternal life, that they, us, you and me, would know him, know God in Jesus. That we would know him. The good news is I've been invited into a divine relationship with Almighty God. Think about that. You and I have been invited into a divine relationship with Almighty God who wants to become our Father. See, there's a saying in the world that, that we're all God's children. You ever heard that before? We're all God's children, meaning mankind. We're all God's children. Do you realize that that is not true? We are all God's creation. But you only become a son or a daughter of his when you commit your life to Jesus. Because the gospel says, to as many as received him, to them he gave the right to become children of God. So that's the qualifier to become God's child, to give your life to Jesus. And so it's amazing to think that almighty God, all-powerful, all-magnificent God wants to invite you into a father-daughter, father-son relationship. I think that's amazing, and that is good news. And we're not talking about easy believism. We're not talking about greasy grace. We're not talking about just praying a prayer and getting into heaven. We're not talking about fire insurance. Although a lot of times the gospel has been reduced to those things. You know, some people treat the gospel or salvation. It's like, okay, if I pray this prayer and get my, my past to heaven, what all can I do so I can still go to heaven. You know, it'd be like, if you're going to marry a girl, or ladies, you're going to marry a guy, and you say, okay, we're about to get married, right? Commitment, right? How many girlfriends can I still have and be married to you? Now, that sounds absurd, doesn't it? That's how we treat Jesus. You know, when you're getting married, guys, are you just saying the vows 
you know, I will love you, I will do this and this. Are you just saying that so you can kiss the girl at the end of the ceremony? Or are you saying those vows because I am making my commitment, I'm pledging my life, I'm committing myself to you? And a lot of times the Bible relates our relationship with God like a marriage. In other words, I believe the point he was trying to get across is that it's a relationship. It's not a praying of a formula so that you get entrance, you get your ticket punched so you can go to heaven. But I believe in America, that's what, for a big part, I'm not going to say for the most part, but for a big part, that's what the gospel's been relegated to. It's a pass to heaven. How much can I get away with and still be a Christian, still go to heaven? You know, that's not even part of heaven's thinking when it came to the gospel. It wasn't, how much can I do and still get in? You know, and, and Jesus didn't even say, do you realize that when it comes to salvation, comes to the good news, the Bible doesn't even say, pray a prayer. It doesn't say, Receive Jesus into your heart. Now, I know we use those phrases, and, and for the most part, they're okay. But my concern is, is those kinds of phrases have given people the wrong view of the gospel. It's like praying a prayer. Okay, so all I have to do is pray a prayer? Hey, I can do that. Just repeat after me. Jesus, Jesus, please forgive me, please forgive me. And you go through the routine. Amen. Now you're a Christian. You're born again. You're going to be with Jesus when you die. And what happens is you have people praying that prayer or something similar to that. And they're saying, I'm a Christian now. And there's no change. There's no change. Jesus said to his disciples, if anyone wishes to come after me, he must deny himself, take up his cross, and follow me. For whoever wishes to save his life will lose it, but whoever loses his life for my sake will find it. Romans 10, 9 and 10 says that if you confess with your mouth Jesus as Lord, if you confess with your mouth Jesus as Lord, The Bible says, if you confess with your mouth Jesus as Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, then you shall be what? Is that true or not? Yes, it's true. But here's a lot of times what I believe happens. Do you believe God raised Jesus from the dead? Mm -hmm. Do you confess him as Lord? Mm -hmm. You're saved. What the Bible is really talking about, I believe, when you're confessing him as Lord, what that means is you are surrendering to him as your boss. You're saying, Jesus, you are now Lord, means boss, master. I'm bowing to you. You call the shots. There's a little bit of difference between that and saying, Jesus is Lord. You see the difference? 
But a lot of times we've relegated or reduced the gospel to someone just quoting something and agreeing with something. Because the Bible says if you believe in your heart, we think that means do you agree with the truth that, oh, yeah, I agree with that. I agree with that, and I'm saying this, so therefore everything's okay. Now, that that mechanism can be a tool that God uses to bring you into the kingdom because many people have been brought into the kingdom praying a simple prayer. I being one of those. And many of you too. But my concern is that the gospel, the amazing, simple gospel, has been reduced to some kind of believism thing that has stripped out all the power of the gospel. And the gospel is really good news, full of life transformation. But what a a lot of us, I believe, in America are experiencing is not the true gospel. I call it the Americanized gospel. Jesus says, if anyone wants to come after me, he must deny himself, take up his cross, and follow me. Now, if you were to walk around in this society with a cross on your back, that'd be kind of weird, wouldn't it? If he were to use today's vernacular, he would say something like, if anyone wants to come after me, he must deny himself, take up his electric chair, and follow me. Because the cross meant death. It meant you were going to die to yourself and everything you planned to do. He who desires to save his life will lose it. He who gives up his life for my sake will find it. See, the good news is in the exchange that we get from heaven. We get a dry, crusty old bone that we give to God, and he gives us a big, juicy filet mignon. In other words, we give up something that's doesn't have a lot of value, and he gives us something with a lot of value. But if that crusty old bone is all you have and you're holding on to that, you're afraid to let it go. And see, the good news that we experience is when we lay down our lives and we give it up for him. Then we realize, oh my goodness, I get this? Jesus, you get my sin and I get your righteousness? Are you kidding me? You suffer judgment and the wrath of God so I can experience forgiveness and adoption? Are you kidding me? That didn't sound too fair, but I'm not going to complain. And what happens is many people pray a prayer. They have a belief system. Their life is not changed. There's no transformation. People outside the church Look at you who claim to be a Christian, and they don't see any difference between you and them. Matter of fact, they think, man, you're rude. You're offensive. You're mean. Man, the things that come out of your mouth, are you kidding? You consider yourself a Christian? We retaliate. We return evil for evil. We look just like the world. But then we realize, okay, I can't do that, so I'm going to try to be good. And so then we get into striving, and we're going to try to do something to be good, to look good, so that at least we're better than the world. There's still no power in that. There's still no difference, because people in the world can try to be good too. And they can quit doing certain things. 
Before I was a Christian, there was a lot of things I didn't do that, that the world considers sin. Social ills, you know, drugs, drinking, violence, all that kind of stuff. I didn't do that, and I wasn't a Christian. So I'm not talking about trying to be or do something, but with the true gospel comes the grace and the power to be different. There is a true transformation that happens the moment I'm born again. Do you think when Jesus talked to the rich young ruler, do you think that was good news that he shared with him? What did he tell him? He said, what must I do to be saved? He says, you know the law. Do that. He says, I've done it all. There's one thing you lack. Sell everything you have and give it to the poor and come follow me. Like, never mind. Do you think that what he told that young man was good news? (laughs) Good point. It was amazingly good news. But from his perspective, it wasn't because he felt like what he had was of greater value than the kingdom. So he wasn't willing to let it go. But if he would have let it go, because you notice Jesus didn't tell everybody to to give everything they have, sell it and give it to the poor and come follow me. Did he say that to everybody? No. Why did he say it to that guy? Because that was the thing that was holding him back from the kingdom. That was the thing that was holding him back. And Jesus knew if that young man or old, who that, I guess it says rich young, okay, that young man would have given up, surrendered, and come to Jesus, he would have realized, oh, my goodness. Dude, are you kidding me? Why didn't you tell me this yesterday? He would have realized the good news that it was. But from his perspective, I got too much money. And see, many of us aren't willing to give up that one thing or two things or whatever. We want to hold on. We think that we can hold on to this and still experience the power of the gospel. The gospel is good news. It is amazing news. There's an instantaneous spiritual change that comes from my heart belief and my confession. When I confess Jesus as Lord, and I believe God's raised raised him from the dead, all of a sudden the Holy Spirit of God comes into my spirit. I'm born again. I'm brand new. My spirit comes alive. And his spirit comes inside of my spirit, and a new creation, a new creature has been born. And then there's the seed of God that is inside of me, and as it begins to grow, there's going to be change that's going to start happening inside of me. There's going to be desires that are going to begin to grow, and I'm going to have this desire for kingdom things. I'm going to have a desire for him, a desire to draw closer to him. The things of the world should begin to lose their appeal. I believe that's what happens when a person's born again. That doesn't mean perfect. doesn't mean they quit sinning automatically. But all of a sudden, the desire, that seed's been planted, and it begins to grow inside of them. Holy Spirit comes inside of you and makes your spirit alive and brand new. A, new, a whole new kingdom and realm becomes available 
to you. You become blessed with every spiritual blessing in heavenly places. The kingdom of heaven is at hand and it is accessible to you. The kingdom of heaven is at hand and it's accessible to you. You know, a lot of times we, especially in political seasons, which we're moving into, the two big sins that'll get you elected or not elected are same-sex marriage or abortion. And so as Christians, we champion, oh, yes, I am against abortion, and I do not believe in same-sex marriage. And do you realize that those two sins nailed Jesus to the cross? Do you realize they're a big deal? They are a big deal. You realize that, right? Do you realize it took the same nails for gossip? Lying? Backbiting, covetousness, gluttony, busybodiness, being a drunk, adulterer. But you know, when they have the debates, I don't hear them talking about, sir, what do you believe about lying? Sir, Mr. Future President, wannabe, what do you believe about unforgiveness? And see, what happens is we may not be doing those two things. Or if I struggle with one of them, if I struggle with same-sex attraction, there's no way I'm going to let anybody know because it's such a big deal that if I let them know that I'm dealing with that, they're going to kill me. Or if they know that I even had, that my wife had an abortion, are you kidding me? We'll be ostracized. We'll be, so there's no way. And many of us may not even struggle with those things. But what about the other stuff that's just as big a deal? And so you have the church full of people who may not be having abortions or same-sex marriage, but they got lying, cheating, stealing, backbiting, unforgiveness, bitterness. And we call ourselves free. And we're in bondage. And I believe that is for the most part because the gospel that we've embraced here in America has been a gospel that doesn't say surrender to Jesus. If you want to come after him, deny yourself, take up your cross and follow him. It's invite him into your heart, accept him because Jesus is out here and he's pretty lonely and he's waiting for you to invite you, invite him into your heart. And then we have our life, what I'm going to do, my plans, and then I have Jesus right here. And if I need him to bless me, then I say, hey, Jesus, can you help me with this adventure? Or can you help me with this endeavor? I'm about to make this business transaction. Can you help me with this? Bless me. Your word says you came that I may have abundant life. Bless me. Bless me, bless me, bless me. And he's an added appendage to our lives instead of you are my life. What do you want me to do? And he says, I want you to be a businessman because I want to express my kingdom through your business. Yes, sir. How do I do that? Let's work on this bitterness that you have against this person. Surrender that to me. 
I have grace available to you so that you do not have to be in bondage to bitterness anymore. Do you realize that? With the good news of the gospel comes freedom from sin. Freedom from sin. How is that? Because grace is made available. Any of you younger people, younger than 30, ever heard of Popeye? I said under 30, Cornell. <laughs> so you guys heard of Popeye? You guys probably have to go on YouTube to see Popeye, right? But you remember Popeye, he was the little scrawny dude, and he had this attraction for olive oil. I don't get. Anyway, but, and he had this, he had this, his nemesis or his enemy was Brutus, right? He was this huge, massive dude. He was huge. Little scrawny Popeye, big old Brutus. And every once in a while, well, every episode, they'd always get into an altercation, and mostly it was about the girl. They'd get into an altercation, right? Well, it wasn't much of an altercation. Brutus would say, Popeye would be dead or half dead, and it was over. Unless he happened to fall next to spinach growing in somebody's garden. Or if he happened to have a can hanging inside of his shirt. Remember that? What's with the this can of spinach inside his shirt? Pulls the spinach out, gets it in his mouth. Never seen a show, heard it before, never. As soon as the spinach got into his mouth, he was transformed, wasn't he? All of a sudden, these big guns appeared. I mean, he was huge, and poor Brutus didn't have a chance. One hit, and he's flying, flying away. That spinach gave Popeye the ability to do something he couldn't do before. See, grace gives you the ability to do something you couldn't do before. All of a sudden, you face a nemesis. You face bitterness. You face something that has been dominating your life. And you're like, I can't beat that. And all of a sudden, this little can of, looks like spinach, but on the front it says grace is given to you. The moment you face a situation, the moment you have a struggle, the moment you've been offended, the can of grace appears. Some of us have it tucked in our shirts. And then the moment we embrace that grace, we consume that grace, we are given the ability to overcome that situation. And see, it's the grace of God that makes us different than the world who doesn't have the grace to overcome sin. But if we don't consume the grace, if we don't embrace the grace, we will not have the power to overcome. And therefore, many of us struggle with the same things the world struggles with, we look the same. Therefore, there's no appeal to the world of the power and the good news of the gospel. Does that make sense? The gospel is good news. You know, if it was only good news to those who struggled with <clears throat> murder or drugs which, thank God, it does. If that was your lifestyle in the past, you've experienced a wonderful grace where you're not doing that anymore. 
But if that was all, if those are the only kind of people the gospel was for, then I'd still be lost. Because I was going to the same hell that the worst drug dealer was going to. I was going to experience the same judgment. I was a sinner, just like he or she was. And I realized, because the message of the gospel was presented to me, and I realized I deserved his judgment. And when the pastor said, CJ, are you ready to commit your life to Jesus? 100%. That's how it was presented to me. Like, dang, dude, that sounds serious. I didn't actually say that, but 100%. And he said, to emphasize, he said, not 99%. Not 99.9. Gordon, you remember Don Averett? Actually, Gordon was probably there the day I got saved in Bennett Chapel. Don says, CJ, you ready to give your life to Jesus 100%? I said, yes, I am. Transformation happened. Can't say I was delivered from drugs because I wasn't doing drugs. But I was delivered from self. My desires changed. Some of them changed instantly because, see, my little G God was money. Not that I had any. But I desired lots of it. And so my number one pursuit was as much money as I could get, legitimately, so I can keep it and enjoy it. Some of you didn't get that. That's okay. And when I gave my life to Jesus, you know how I did that? I prayed a simple prayer. Repeat these words after me. And I don't remember what I said But I do remember that I was surrendering my life to this king that I didn't know a lot about. I heard a lot about him growing up, going to Sunday school. But I was surrendering. And so parts of the prayer had something to do with, I give you my life. And so what that meant to me was, okay, he's the boss man now. He says jump, I say how high. And then he gives me the grace to jump as high as he wants me to jump. And all of a sudden, that desire to follow and get all the money, you know, I was so money conscious and so money hungry that I was willing to become an engineer. I enrolled in at OSU to become an engineer. Didn't have any clue what an engineer was or did. Didn't have a clue, seriously. But I heard there was a poster on the wall in my high school classroom, one of the classrooms, And it said, highest paid salaries out of college. Engineer number one. If it had said doctor, guess what I was going to be? So I was, ooh, they make the most money coming out of college. They don't have to wait. Now, other lawyers and doctors probably pass them up, but I'm talking about right away, right out of college. That's how much I was driven because I just wanted the substance of money. And once I got saved, everything, everything changed. All of a sudden, I fell in love with this God who became my dad. And this Jesus dude, man, I couldn't get enough of him. It's like, man, where have you been all my life? 
and things inside change dramatically. It's like, what is going on? You know how you hear people say when they get saved, they pray and they can't stop smiling for like a week or something like that? That's how I felt. And I knew there was a change inside of me when, you know, I was was 18 years old, so I was, you know, a freshman in college. And and back in the day, now I I think they're called goth, gothic, you know, that style of gothic where people wear all black and they used to whiten their faces. Do they still do that? Is there a group of people like that still on this planet? Okay. Anyway, they, back in the day, we called them, they were called bat people. You guys remember them? The bat people. We're all black, white face, that kind of thing. Remember when I'd see them? Thought they were stupid, a waste of space, all that. And I remember after I got saved and I was at the mall in Lawton, and I was walking in the mall. I don't know what I was doing. I mean, what do teenagers do in the mall, right? I don't know. But I was in the mall, and I saw a group of those bat kids. And instead of wanting to hit them, I wanted to hug them. I said, what the heck is happening inside of me? I knew there was a change. There was all of a sudden something happening on the inside. And my love for money was replaced with love for God. And the things, the selfish things, the selfishness that I was struggling with, particular sin, began to, I began to experience freedom as I began to grow in my relationship with him, learning how to receive the grace. And see, that's good news. And now, fast forwarding 10 years later, Can I do so well in math, okay? I am more in love with this man, Jesus, than I was back when I was 18. You know, those of you who've been married for a long time, and you say, I am more in love with my wife than I was when we first met. It's like, did I even like her when we first got married? You know, because your love is so, it's so big and you try to compare it to when you first got married, and it's like, wow, I don't even know if I liked it. I'm surprised we got married. I mean, you guys know what I mean? Your love just grows and grows and grows. Because I think part of us, one, because you're getting to know each other, the, you're sharing life and being intimate with each other and transparent and vulnerable, all that stuff. But I think a big part of it, too, is this person knows you more than any other person on the planet. They know all your, your bad, your good, bad, and ugly and yet they still love you. And that's the way it is with God. After knowing him for all these years, and he knows me inside and out, and it's like, man, and I'm realizing how passionate he is for me. You know, Greg, Greg was sharing last week, I think it's Zephaniah, I can't remember the verse or chapter, I think it's Zephaniah. This is God, it's like he twirls, he dances over us. It's like, are you kidding me? What? You have nothing better to do than to celebrate us? He chooses to celebrate you, his kids. He chooses to celebrate us. When we were up in Pittsburgh, Kansas last week, there was a group of us that went to visit a church up there, had a great time. 
And Kaylin Burke shared something that I thought was awesome. I can't remember exactly word for word what she said, but basically she, she had a word for the body there. And she said something to the effect of, we need to realize that God doesn't tolerate you. He celebrates you. It's like, bam. It's like, woo, say that again, bring it. But that's what I'm realizing, that he doesn't tolerate See, many of us are living under the thing that, well, God knows how bad I am. He kind of barely let me in. He just cracked the door open, so I'm in, barely. But he's like, stay over there in that corner. You know, you're forgiven, you're adopted, but just just stay on over there. And that's what a lot of our view of ourselves in God's eyes is, that he tolerates, he puts up with. If he didn't have to, then he wouldn't. But because he he has to love me because he's loved, so therefore he has to put up with me. And that's not as hard at all. There's a scripture, I don't know if I can find it, because I'm not even following my notes. It says, God decided in advance to adopt us into his own family by bringing us to himself through Jesus Christ. It's interesting, God decided in advance to adopt us into his family by bringing us to himself. He didn't have to bring us to himself. He could have just brought us and placed us there. So, okay, you're adopted says he brought us to himself through Christ Jesus. This is what he wanted to do, and it gave him great pleasure. So we praise God for the glorious grace he has poured out on us who belong to his dear son. He is so rich in kindness and grace that he purchased our freedom with the blood of his son and, by the way, forgave us our sins. He has showered his kindness on us along with all wisdom and understanding. Ephesians 1, verse 5 through 8. New Living Translation. There is so much, when you read Ephesians, especially the first chapter, there is so much in there where it talks about how God brought us to himself. He didn't just adopt us. He didn't just forgive us, but he brought us to himself. He, and not only did he bring us to himself, he came to live inside of us. Remember the whole thing about the the temple, the $150 billion temple that Solomon built? And God says, appreciate it, son, but no thanks, I'd rather live inside of my people. So, Talking about value, value. If that rich young ruler realized what God had in store for him was a whole lot more than he had, a whole lot more. If we would realize what he has in store for us, if we would realize how much he loves us, I'm not talking about the cliche, he loves us. I'm talking about in the Bible and Ephesians, I believe it's chapter two, it's in there somewhere. Actually, it's Ephesians 3, verse 14 through 20. It says, For this reason I bow my knees to the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, from whom the whole family in heaven and earth is named, that he would grant you according to the riches of his glory to be strengthened with might through his spirit in the inner man, that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith, that you being rooted and grounded in love may be able to comprehend with all the saints what is the width and length and depth and height, to know the love of Christ which which passes knowledge that you may be filled with all the fullness of God. Now to him who is able to do exceedingly abundantly above all that we ask or think according to the power that works within us. He wants us to understand how much he loves us. And when we begin to understand how much he loves us, it's going to rock our worlds and blow us away. And see, that's one perspective that I have now that I didn't have as much when I was 18 year old, an 18-year-old. I'm getting a better understanding of how much he loves me. 
And that love for me is rocking my world. And then because of his love for me, I am motivated to surrender to the grace that he gives me so that I can overcome this sin and this stupidity that I'm wallowing in. It's like, I don't want to stay here. He's too awesome. He's paid for freedom for me to be free. I mean, it's amazing when I can actually love people that I used to hate. Are you kidding me? Try to work that one up. Can we count to 10? And I'm going to start loving you instead of hating you. And before, by the time you get to five, you're going to probably shoot them. But I mean, come on, y'all. Grace enables me to love someone who's betrayed me, who's despitefully used me, who does all sorts of evil against me, and I'm able to love that person for real. Now, that sounds too good to be true. The gospel. It's amazing. It's amazing. And I'm going to share more of the benefits next week that I get excited about. I think there's four or five. But it's just crazy that the things that I can let bother me, I can let control me, I don't have to. Because there's that can of spinach that I can consume any time and be free. This is why we dance and sing and get crazy here on Sunday mornings. We have something to be crazy about. We're crazy about someone who's crazy about us. This is why I get so excited. People put the label on me as an evangelist. Maybe I have that, that gift. I don't know if I do or not, but I know I get passionate about telling people about him. I get passionate about dispensing hope and sharing with people and saying, you know what? I know you're discouraged and life probably stinks right now, but do you know there's someone who has something so much for you that your life can be changed right now? Four weeks ago, about four weeks ago, actually the last time we went treasure hunting here in Stillwater, the team I was on, we got to lead a young man to Christ, college student, 20-year-old, scholarship athlete. And for the last four weeks, he and I have been getting together, called discipleship. We've been meeting each week. And this last week, he did something that brought conviction into my life. Do you guys remember how rainy it was Friday? Now, most of us were inside 99% of the time, so we don't have a recollection. But if you had to be outside in it for any length of time, you know exactly how much it was raining, raining hard. He said, hey, can we meet on Friday instead of Sunday? I said, sure. What time? We set up a time. And I said, hey, he only has a moped. doesn't have a car. He only has a moped. I said, hey, you want me to come pick you up? Because it's raining, or it's going to be raining. And then by the time we were going to meet, it was raining hard. And I said, do you want me to come pick you up? And he said, no, for whatever circumstances... It didn't work out for me to pick him up because he had to do something. I can't remember the details. But the young man drove across town in the hard rain in his moped to meet with me to have a Bible study. Are you kidding me? Brand new Christian. And I'm thinking, wait a minute. How many of my decisions 
concerning Jesus are based on my comfort and convenience. Would I? I mean, even now, go across town on a bike to meet with somebody for a Bible study? It's like, hey, dude, how about tomorrow? I mean, you know what I'm saying? But here's this young man who four weeks ago, he was asked, are you ready to give your life to Jesus? In Walmart, in the appliance section, are you ready to give your life to Jesus? And he shocked me and said, yes. He said, yes. Matter of fact, it caught me off guard that I didn't know what to say next. I was like, um, um, let's stop and pray for a second. Um, and then so we're talking, and, and I really, I literally was caught by surprise. Caught my composure, got back up, shared some things with him, and then I used that tool. How about you repeat after me? And then he said, well, and then he started to hesitate, and I said, hey, I'm not, I don't want to force you. I don't want you to do this unless you want to. And I was giving him a way out. Because I thought he was saying, I don't know if I'm ready to do this right now. That's what I thought he was going to say. He said, so if you're not ready to do this, I don't want to force you. He said, oh, no, I want to do this. Like, what? And I've had people out on the street in Walmart. I've had them pray the prayer with me before. And I make sure it's full of elements. Jesus, I'm giving you my life. And I've never seen them again. So I thought this young man was going to be the same, to be honest with you. And we've already met four times. And he didn't seem to have any plan to quit, especially coming across town in the rain. It's like, Jesus, I want that kind of commitment. Forgive me for my convenience-based obedience. Would you stand with me? Maybe on the surface, what I shared today didn't sound like good news. Maybe it wasn't happy. <laughs> I'm not mad at anybody at all. Matter of fact, I'm pretty fired up. This message, the gospel, really gets me going because of what it does, how it changes lives. And what I want to invite you to do, first of all, if you're not born again, if you've never given your life to Jesus, Today is the day. I want to invite you in a moment to come up. And as you come up here, you're saying, Jesus, I'm yours. I'm yours. I believe that God raised you from the dead. I believe that you're who the Bible says you are. And I give my life to you. But maybe along the way, you, just like me, started out that way. I'm committed. But along the way, some other gospels begin to influence you. And you start to believe things. Maybe our ears are being tickled, and we start to believe that it's okay. Oh, I can do this and get away. It's okay. God, you know, he's so cool and kind and forgiving. I can do this. It's okay. And, and we've, we've gotten watered down. We've gotten watered down. 
And I'm not saying that we're out there boozing it up and drugging it up and all that kind of stuff, but you know what I'm talking about because you know what's going on in your heart and your life that God's not pleased with because you are allowing yourself to be in bondage and he paid for your freedom. And for whatever reason, you've gotten watered down. I found myself in that place a number of times. I had to repent. Ever heard of that word before? Change my thinking. I'm going this way. It's like, whoa, this isn't right. The truth says. And so I changed my thinking, changed my direction, and resurrender. 